Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. You got it! You better stop it! This episode of the Ready State Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Momentus. Now, I want to talk about how Momentus came into my life because it's kind of cool. On one hand, I had discovered PR Lotion, which is a bicarbonate loading system that some of my elite cyclists were like, you have to try this, it's bananas. And I love that. And then on the other side, I had this nutrition kind of performance supplement company that had come out of Olympic rowing and some of my friends in the military, Andrew Huberman, and lo and behold, they got married last year and the things that were sitting on my shelves became the super company. And I am so stoked to talk to you about why I'm a big fan. So one is I like to go fast, but two, sometimes I can't hit all of my nutritional needs when I'm talking about just upping my vitamin D a little bit or trying to get a little bit more of my omega-3 sorted out. My blood panel have always said that I'm low on these things. And guess what? My most recent blood panel, sorted out. So one of the reasons I'm a huge fan of this company is NSF certified, which means that you can feel good about giving this multivitamin to your kid or knowing that you're not going to test positive for some, some sketchy supplement. Momentus makes products for high performance and for everyday life. Whether you're trying to just get a little bit more protein, whether you're trying to up your vitamin D, whether you need a little sleep support, it is the bomb. To learn more, go to thereadystate.com slash momentous. That's like moment, us, M-O-M-E-N-T-O-U-S, thereadystate.com slash momentous to find out more. This episode of The Ready State is brought to you by Virtual Mobility Coach. This may sound crazy, but last year, I kind of tried to clone my husband. Awesome. Only kind of, though. You see, Kelly gets dozens of requests every day for help. And even though he wants to give everyone his personal attention, there just aren't enough hours in the day. So I typed in how to clone a human being into Google. Just kidding, but in seriousness, what we did do was create our virtual mobility coach platform. It's like having a virtual Kelly Star ad in your pocket. Which obviously everyone needs. And that's right. I personally create over 600 mobility protocols for the virtual mobility coach. So the platform can help you with almost any movement problem imaginable. For example, let's say you're in pain. The VMC will show you a diagram of the human body. All you have to do is click where it hurts, and from there, we'll serve you up a customized pain prescription we call Mobility RX. The virtual mobility coach can also help you warm up and cool down when you exercise. Every day, we provide fresh pre- and post-workout mobilizations for more than four dozen sports and movements. Plus, on your days off, we even have a video called Daily Maintenance to help you relax and recover so you can get back 100% in record time. And best of all, right now you can try Virtual Mobility Coach free for two whole weeks. So you can check out everything it has to offer without paying a penny. Claim your free 14-day trial of Virtual Mobility Coach now. Go to thereadystate.com slash free trial. That's thereadystate.com slash free trial. And we'll see you inside. On this episode of The Ready State, we are thrilled to introduce you to Jim Klopman. Jim is a lifelong innovator who's always been one of those people who thinks a little differently, as you'll see. He has come to believe that balance training has sharpened his ability to make new neural connections and see the possibilities and pathways that a lot of other people are missing. Originally, Jim was looking for a way to maintain his own athletic performance well into his 90s, but the slack bow balance training system developed turned out to be a key to whole body and mind fitness was it, and was even more revolutionary than he could have imagined. 
He's eager to spread his knowledge, techniques, and tools far and wide to help seekers like him tune their brains to perform better and work in sports. Sleep better, look younger, and live longer. And by the way, I'm obsessed with it. Hope you enjoy this interview. Jim, welcome to the Ready State Podcast. Thank you. I'm uh, really happy to be here. There is a lot to dig into today. I just want to set the stage for everyone about how you and I met. Right. I was at visiting a friend in Austin. We were visiting right. Tim Ferriss, and I saw this slackline simulator in his <laughs> garage gym, and I immediately was like, oh, I understand this. And then I went home and bought one. I immediately start, grokked what it was, started to understand. We've had a slackline in our home for how long, Jay? Forever. 10 years? Yeah, longer. 15 years. We've had slack lines at the gyms. We've had slack lines as part of our life. But the problem with having a slack line is that you have to have a slack line and you can't <laughs> slack line in your house very easily. Right. But I really intuitively understood what you were attempting to do with this thing. And right. we became friends and, and our mutual balance obsession was born. Right. Right. And I just have to add a quick uh, color commentary that I wasn't in said gym when Kelly found it, but I can tell you that he kind of came running back in the house and is like, look what I found. This thing is awesome. <laughs> so he was very excited when he landed upon this thing in, in Austin. So obviously, um, well, I'll just let you go ahead and respond to that, and then we'll actually ask you some actual questions. Well, I mean, first of all, I appreciate you not calling it a giant eraser like a lot of people do. When they see it. <laughs> for the first time. But yeah, it's really nice. It's in terms of for the years now that I've been wrestling with this uh, subject, I've come to the determination that either you get it right away or there's no explanation that makes you get it. So hearing you get it, it was just life-changing for me because I was, we were at, I was at zero dollars. I was living in a borrowed house, borrowing money to live. I had top teams using the product, but they wouldn't tell anybody because it was such a competitive advantage. I had top trainers using the product and they wouldn't tell anybody because it was such an advantage and the method. And then you came along and everybody needs to know how damn nice you are. And uh, you were great to me. You understood it. You were supporting, you were loving. Yeah. I got out of a major hole because of your phone call. So I really appreciate it. Oh, I, di I didn't know that. And I'm tickled. Yeah. That's so cool. I had no idea. Yeah. So, you know, we in our family think of you as a balance expert and obviously the founder of this awesome thing that we have sitting in our kitchen at all times. But, you know, you obviously are not 21 years old. So <laughs> you probably have a long history to tell us a little bit about before you got into caring about and focusing on balance and all that balance can do for us from a you know health and longevity standpoint. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your backstory. How did you get to this point where this is what you focus on and care about? I know you've also written a book about balance, which I'd like to ask about, but Take us back in time a little bit. How did you get to here? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I don't have this in the book, but it's an interesting story. I mean, I, I had problems my whole life with education. It took me three years to get out of eighth grade. I flunked ninth grade. I don't know, maybe 10, 12 years to get through college. I think I went to seven different colleges. I'd flunk out, go work in construction, go back into college, flunk out, go back into construction. And, you know, and all the while I'd be told that, that I was pretty clever and, one thing I know you guys are skiers. I've been skiing since I was three. Lace up leather boots, little wire straps holding you in the skis. And I always felt like the only place I felt super comfortable was on a pair of skis. It's the only place that it felt like 
the world and me met somewhere. Otherwise, it was just a anxiety-written thing. And so I came out of there. I found a good company to go work for. I was very successful. I ran the Russell Athletics teamwear business for several years. Um, I was in the textile business. And I left that because I just, I guess it was moving over to Asia and I didn't like the people that were left in the industry. So I just tried to find something new. And I skied one day. My wife gave me a present of skiing one day with a great Stein Erickson. I was 50 years old. He was 74. Hmm. And um, somebody asked me if it was expensive. I said, I've paid lawyers that much money, you know, in three hours as opposed to six hours with him. But um, the point was, it was probably the most rewarding day I've ever had athletically. And I lettered in all kinds of, I've lettered in five different sports when I was in high school. So, I mean, I know about athletic success, but it was just a beautiful thing. And he was 74 and I said, we had fun. We just had fun. Well, one of the reasons we had fun was I've observed and watched him since I was a child. When I was 13, I would imitate my skiing style on his. So I kind of knew how to do that reverse shoulder thing with your feet close together and all that stuff. And I'd mess around with him and do that. And he just thought that was hysterical. But um, I asked him, we spent a lot of time on the lift just talking. And I said, what do you, how do you keep it going at 74? Because he was pretty damn fast. He said, well, I ski every day. And I said, well, I can't do that now. I'm still managing careers. So we talked about some other things. And then I, I knew he's, because I read everything about his life. I said, I, I know you did gymnastics when you were younger and you uh, won the gold medal, three gold medals in 19, I think, 54 um, World Cup games, whatever it was, World Cup games. And he said, yeah, I still do a little gymnastics. And he said, I think balance is really important. So that was age 50. And then for the next five years, I'm like, God, you know, guys like you have really hammered this fitness thing, you know, got muscles all lined up, balance, everything good, right? So I was probably as fit strength-wise at age 55 as I was when I was 30. So the next thing I thought, well, maybe it's, you know, skill level. But, you know, the more you do things, the better you get. And I would go out and just to mess around, I'd ski at like 40% speed or 60% of my normal speed. And I go, God almighty, this isn't taking any muscle and it's not taking any skill. Why do people stop skiing when they get older? And I came around to this thing called balance. And I went out into the fitness industry and there was nothing really good. There was the bongo board, which I had been doing since I was five because I had such bad ADD. It was the way my dad would, he'd say, Jimmy, can you get on the bongo board? He'd clock me and drink two martinis and that would keep me quiet and he could drink two (laughs) martinis. But, you know, it, it came out of that, that, I thought, well, maybe this is it. So I found the slack line. The bongo board wasn't it. There wasn't anything else in history. I got in the slack line. I said, this is it. I can't do it. I'm challenged on it. And I didn't want to walk on a slack line because I know I didn't ski with one foot in front of the other. So I did single leg positioning, basically balancing on one foot with the other leg next to it. And, you know, most of skiing is you're going to be on one edge or the other edge, or even if you're double edging, you're still mostly on that lower ski edge. So I did it for a few months and I went out and I was fast to begin with. I was freaking insane when I went out after that balance training. I thought, oh my God. So I came back, tried to build a slack bow, um, which is our you know big expensive product. Couldn't, got with an engineering uh, professor at Auburn University. He talked to me. He was kind of standoffish. I gave him some equipment, showed him some protocols. He calls me a week later and he goes, I'll do anything you want me to do. I go, what's going on, man? Why the big change? He goes, well, he said, I've got a PhD in engineering. My specialty is um, big steam generators and, you know, in big manufacturing plants. 
and boiler rooms, he called me. He said, I got injured when I was 23 and I've had back pain since I was 23. He said, I've been doing your protocols now for a week and I have no pain for the first time ever. And he said, I've seen every doctor, I've taken every pain pill, it's gone. So I said, I I'm in 100%. Like, cool. So his class developed the slack bow. I'm partners with Auburn. And then I did one simple study. I said, you know, maybe it's just we can't ever outperform our balance system. So I took athletes from different areas, didn't change anything to do with their fitness routine, had them do the 12-minute routine for uh, 10 times over maybe like a two or three-week period. So it's 120 minutes of intervention. And every single person increased their vertical leap by over 10% except for one guy who had a monstrously high vertical leap to begin with, and he only increased 8.5%. So I thought, well, there's something to this. And, you know, as a developer, you discover something, and you think immediately everybody's going to steal your idea. So you're just real reluctant to get the information out. And I, you know, would release it in bits and pieces. And then finally, after about five years, I'm like, I could be screaming from the rooftop, and people aren't hearing what I'm saying. Until you came along, Kelly. I mean, I've been called a liar. I've been told that, you know, there's 80 years, 70 years of balanced research studies that show it does nothing for you. I've looked at all the research. They're either bad methods and protocols up front or they're bad facts measured afterwards. And it was loneliness out in the woods. And we would have results that would blow your mind. I would have a skier comes in one day. He goes, I'm getting, I'm going to get thrown out of the group of guys I'm skiing with. And he skied with all the cool kids in Park City like Ted Ligeti's dad. And he said, I said, why? He said, he said, I'm skiing too slow. And this was an ex-CIA spook kind of guy. He's in great shape. He was 64 years old. And he said, I'm working with my trainer. I'm doing everything I can. I bought new equipment. I got new boots. I still am just skiing too slow for them. So he skied with those, that group on Thursday and Saturday. I worked with him on Monday. I worked with him on Wednesday. He came in on Friday. And like, he's a big, scary guy. He said, what did you do to me? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? What do you mean, what did I do? He said, did you hypnotize me? I said, you got to tell me what's going on, man. I'm a little scared right now. So he said, I was the first man down. He said, you took me from last man down to I was on the lift line first waiting for them. And just one sport after another sort of came together like that. But the referrals from this were until, again, you came along. Referrals from this were people like, I don't believe it. This is impossible. We're Americans. You don't get better unless you work hard, you put in the sweat, you put in the tears, you have to grind through it, and then you get better. But, you know, it, it, we just didn't get the referrals I thought we'd get. So I left Park City, came back to be close to a daughter. And then the business, you know, you spoke to me when I was in Park City. I was in the middle of moving out, and it just has all sort of popped ever since you stepped in. So, Jim, just one question and then a comment. Are you now in Austin? Just I'm sort of curious where you are. I'm in Park City, Utah. I have a daughter who lives in Austin, so I'm back and forth to Austin a lot. Okay. So. Um, and then I just want to say we, like you, have also had every iteration of Bongo Board around our house. And I am a fan of that product, but it is interesting because, you know, raising kids and now we have teenage kids coming in and out of our house. And right. I mean, I can't tell you how many kids, neighbors, kids right. have taken gigantic, potentially life ending uh, diggers in our garage right. um, after jumping out there, <laughs> jumping right. Right, right onto the bongo board, right. um, thinking that they're invincible. And, you know, it, it's a bit it, we've seen quite a few big hits on those things over the years. So, you know, just in terms of scalability and especially for older folks, you know, sometimes right. those are not the devices that, right. you know. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I immediately loved about 
particularly the slack block. And, and I want everyone to understand that I have also a plate that slips yeah. on my slack line, which yeah. makes it an order of magnitude more difficult. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. The moment arm is difficult. You exactly. just, it's very difficult. That's exactly One right. of the things that is amazing and one of the things that I love so much about what's going on is that I, instead of, because I think we, one, don't think about balance as a performance limiter. You know, right, exactly. We don't, don't think about no, this, right? the coordination and efficiency of the system right. as a performance limiter. We're starting to feel, see more and more people come through the world saying it, hey, your brain is perceiving the ground as safe or not safe. Right. That you're transferring power more effectively or less effectively. Right. But when I've seen people stand on soft surfaces, their feet just mush apart. Right. And one of the things that I love about the way you were thinking was that you may, kept a surface that was hard that allowed me to maintain the integrity of my foot and the integrity of the system on top of the unstable surface. And that really was a game changer. Right. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. And, and you know, with the board on the line too, it's called a slack plate. What's fascinating about that is if you were to stand on a one inch rope, it's actually easier than standing on a one inch slack line. And a one inch slack line is easier to stand on than a two inch slack line. And a three and a half inch plate, a two inch slack line is easier to stand in on than a three uh, and a half inch plate. And I think there's two things. I think you're right. The moment arm uh, makes a difference. But I also think that we have sort of a prehensile, prehistoric kind of instinct yes. to be able to grab with the foot that we don't really know much about. Yeah. You know, I have to say that I'm sort of astounded to learn that you met so much resistance and that oh. the notion of balance is not widely accepted. Actually, I'm finding this to be a surprise, especially because in the work that Kelly and I do and sort of my general understanding in the health and fitness business, and also, you know, we run a nonprofit about around getting kids standing at school, which probably right. would have been very good for you as a child in your education, <laughs> based on what I'm learning. No, because I did it anyways. Yeah. It didn't matter. Yeah, you already did it naturally. But, you know, even just the data that we all know about the fall risk in the elderly and how that is sort of like a ticket to, you know, I mean, you have what, two years to live if you fall after right. break a hip after a certain right. age or something. I mean, even just watching my own parents, like, you know, one of the reasons I've gotten so, I mean, I, first of all, enjoy it, but Kelly and I've gotten really into mountain biking in the last five years. Right. And one of the reasons that I got excited about doing that was a, it's fun, but also I watched my mom who, by the way, is she's 76, very fit, very active, 76 year old. Does she gong and dance? Yeah. And dance. And she did CrossFit for many years. Dancers have great balance. Yeah. But I noticed that like age 70, she could no longer ride her bike anymore. Yeah. She didn't feel that she had the balance anymore right. to be able to ride a bike. And I thought, well, you know, she doesn't really ride a bike very often. And so of course that's a skill that you lose. You know, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, these are a lot of little anecdotal stories to tell you that I guess I'm really surprised based on what we know about aging and the importance of balance and the importance of immunizing yourself from fall risk when you get old, that this is such a a rev like to me, it seems so obvious. And why is this revolutionary? And why is there so much resistance to it? Well, first of all, there's, I mean, A, the people who through the years who've gotten it have worked with me are up here in terms of, you know, intellect. You know, it takes us, you have to connect a lot of dots to pull it together. The other is we've run into a lot of, uh, we still run into a lot of dissonance. So we'll have an athlete, for example, at a, a golfer, who's a friend of mine, he was a six, point four or something like that. 
60 years old. I only worked with him for three hours. And we have results in golf where we go from 10 to zero after maybe eight hours worth of work. And I just worked with him for like three hours with his uh, home indoor range. And he went from a six down to a three. And I saw him like a month or so after. I said, how are you doing? He said, well, I'm a three. I said, oh, that's great. He goes, yeah, but you know, he said, I think the balance is part of it. But, you know, I got a new driver. You know, I've been taking lessons with a new coach, blah, 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 blah. So I said, okay. And I used to hear this all the time, these exact stories in all different sports. And then I saw him maybe three or four months after that. And he said, I want to apologize to you. And I said, what's that? He goes, I'm 60. He said, I've never been a three my whole life. I always have new drivers. I always have new coaches. He said, it was the balance. And, you know, we have those kind of results. So people can't, there's a distance. I can't correlate it because I don't know how good my balance is. And we talk about this in the book. We live in a world that's perfectly flat with these rectilinear surfaces around us. And we don't have a balance balance. We have a scale from zero to 100. 25 being what you need to operate in this world in. And so your balance skills can fall to 35, 40, and you wouldn't even know it because there's no challenge every day. So then you have that one challenge and you stub your toe on a curb and you fall and you injure yourself. And by the way, for people over 65, the number one cause of falls are curbs. So it's just, and that's the one thing we, le- we see in life, just by the way, in modern life, every step is equally distance apart. Every sidewalk is shaved. So there's no lip that you can trip on, but curves are always different heights and they all look kind of the same. But the point is, you don't know how bad it is. So these people don't know how bad their balance system is when they come in the door. So I developed this lip measurement system and I've seen all the measurement systems out there and they're all really focused more towards physical therapy and they don't measure true dynamic balance. So we have a super $10 million project that if we ever got funded, we could start that would measure 18 points of measurement on the body and have to use AI and all these kind of crazy things to make it happen. But in the meanwhile, we're adding measurement devices to the slack plate, to the slack block, so that we can at least now give you a score that says you come in the door wherever you are and you get a score of 25. And you go on and you get up to 50 and your handicap drops, you go, oh, maybe it's because of that. We have a school, I, I'll say the school, because Michigan, University of Michigan football, and Ben Herbert is the uh, strength condition coach. He's a brilliant man. He's smart. He's just totally with it. And they use slack blocks constantly. They use, we have a balance measurement system that we gave them. They're the only ones in the country that have it that measure nine levels of balance. And he came back to me. I think it was last year, the year before. And of course, they're getting better. They got, you know, where they were this year, which is pretty good. I don't think they'll ever get great because I don't know if they ever can get those D1, I mean, those uh, top recruits that Alabama and Georgia can get. But he came back and he said, everything you said is true. He said, we keep a score for everybody on the team. If somebody gets better, uh, if some, we feel like somebody needs to be looked at, we'll score them again. If they've dropped down, We'll remediate them and give them more work on balance work. He said everything's true in terms of injury, athleticism, the ability to see the ball, everything. So I've always known this was true, but it wasn't until we had our own scoring system then we gave it to a, a big program and they came back with those results. You know, what I love about it is, and I just want everyone to understand this, you know, we're obsessed in our strength and conditioning community, we're obsessed with foot pressure and foot organization, right? especially understanding complex movements right. around barbells and jumping. We really look at the foot as a big force sink where we see people squishing out, dumping force, just being inefficient generally. One of the things that is amazing about 
this intervention that I think is sometimes uh, less appreciated is one is that you're driving interoception. So can you feel what's going on and know where you are? And you, you know, I've laughed about wearing, you know, sensory deprivation chamber, shoes, foot coffins, <laughs> right? You just, people have lost the ability to feel and perceive yeah. and suddenly just yeah. simply takes input into this thing that makes a big difference. But the fact that you can have this literally in your kitchen and you, as a person who's just beginning, can hold on to the counter, add stability to it, means that the intervention threshold is there. Because if it's in our kitchen, I could be on it five times a day, 10 times a day, right. playing with just hooking my toes, turning sideways, right. making my feet strong, working on different balance shapes. But I think for me, what's so great is that it's you get immediate feedback of whether it works or not because you fall off or you can't hold your balance, you have to touch down. And then you can be as wild as you want to be. You can get into plie positions and, and right. single and you can hold your breath and look around right. and right. integrate all the neuro sort of eye vestibular drills. Right. I have yet to find someone who I can't exceed their balance capacities. I can make it harder and harder and harder and harder. And ultimately, the brain responds. And the fact that we can have these little discrete interventions all the time is one of the things, and one of the reasons that Juliet and I, in our in the book we're working on, have balance as a chapter. Because we really have come to believe that if we are going to truly be durable, this is a, a low, not skill, low exercise threshold. You don't have to be fit to do this. Right. Right, you don't have to be strong to do yeah. this. Children, el- who yeah. who doesn't benefit from knowing where their foot and body is in space? Right. Well, and you know, it's a. I mean, one you want you understand progressions. I think if you look at, I mean, we have the the slack, but we also use the, we have balance boards. We've got a balance board we're coming out with shortly, but we recognize the fall aspect of it. And so we've always had a protocol that we could. I mean, I've had seventy year olds get on the bongo board. But you have to take them through what you were just talking about, Kelly. You have to take them through a progression. If you jump progression, it's like I can't bench press 400 pounds, but if you drop 400 pounds on me, you're going to kill me. Well, it's the same thing. If I want to get to 400 pounds, I have to progress to it. So you've, done, you've learned how to do that, and it's a very important part of how to use this equipment. There is no place that it doesn't fit, and that's the crazy thing about it. And, I, and if you put it in your book, just to let you know, there are – Every biohacker book that's out there right now with the cool kid biohackers, I'm not going to name names, you know who they are, write their books on biohacking. And this is the number one cause of accidental death and accidental injury for people over the age of 65. And guess what? It goes up 1% to 2% a year. Medicine's getting better. So cancer deaths and uh, deaths from heart disease, skipping COVID for now, have been going down 1% to 2% a year. Medicine's working. But we have this one area, and this is per capita, has been going up. So it's not based on old people. It's based on 100,000 people. So it's a problem that's getting worse and worse. And yet we have better and better fitness systems. We have better and better spaces to live in. We should have better and better shoes, but we don't. You know, I think they're a big part of the problem. So it is so important. But if you put it in your book, it's, I mean, there's people out there who write books about brain health. And the number one cause of concussions are falls. They it's not Johnny on the soccer field or Sally on the softball field. They're falls. So it's a $90 billion a year business, yet it's not addressed. And it's not addressed as a disease. And if you look in all this, you know, the reporting from the federal government, it's called an accident. 
It's not called a disease. It's balanced loss disease is what it is. That's true. Now, here's the thing. To me, it's just software. So it's a matter of, and there's research been going on for years, but I mean, the guy, his name's Martin Goulding. I wrote some notes here. But I mean, they're talking about finding these neurons and motor neurons that coordinate the left to right movement, the forces going left to right to make sure they're in balance, to make sure there's rhythm, all these types of things. And these are in processing centers that are in the lower part of the spine. The information doesn't even get to the brain. It comes from the leg, foot, up to this part of the spine, back down again. So there is software all over the body that's being changed when you go back and start to activate your balance system. And that's why we'll train somebody and they'll walk, let's say, just relative numbers. They'll walk out of the door a level two and they'll come back three days later, they'll be at a three or a four because the body goes, oh, okay, I get it. I'm supposed to be doing this. And they just get better sort of naturally. Uh, They never go backwards. One of the interesting things that you mentioned, you know, just anecdotally, the story about less back pain, sometimes what we see is that just people aren't getting enough input. You know, Juliet and I are just big fans of sometimes we're like, look, your body, your nervous system is just an input machine. It is the reason you have a central nervous system is to perceive change in the environment. That really is sort of makes sense of that. You really are designed this way. And what we've seen is that a lot right. of people just live in a really homogenous little world. They don't walk around. They're on these flat surfaces. And sometimes just giving people a chance to activate their latent systems is really, really powerful. And there's no other place where I see that it's more important than after surgery. Because, you know, I talked ad nauseum, I'm sure everyone is tired of it, but when we see knee surgeries and lower extremity surgeries, one of the big differences is that if you ask someone to do single leg balance, just on the floor with their less dependent leg or non-surgical side, and then do the other side, it's shocking the differences side to side, which isn't a strength issue and isn't necessarily a range of motion issue and isn't even a soft tissue issue. It's an input issue. And so when we force people to start to integrate and know where they are in space and then start active, making sure that they can breathe and do these things and then start to change the organization of their body, it's really remarkable some of the outcomes we have working alongside people when we've just added this balance intervention in, which is just asking them to, hey, I just need you to be responsible and all you need to do is have some input. Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, the new kind of protocol is with back issues where they'd say lay down for three days is get up and move. So movement's always good. And and I think more of us need to understand that. What I think is happening, too, is if you take and we've had, you know, world class Olympic athletes get on the slack bow for the first time and they'll have great balance. But they will say within 45 seconds, I'm sweating and I don't know why. And it's one of the sales (laughs) programs, problems I have with the whole system is that everything you see in fitness, you're going to be moving and doing all this crazy, you know, I'm really looking at me doing stuff. It's hard to measure this. That's right. We're just training the micro muscles, the small muscles all over the body. Well, if you're training this micro muscle system, there's not going to be much movement. You know, it's going to be in the micro muscle movement level. So there's not a lot of big movement going on. But these people are sweating for a reason because these little muscles are being fired all over their body. And I know we're supposed to have, and you know probably the name of every one of them, you know, 700 whatever plus muscles in the body. But I think even within there, they're broken down into different categories. You know, we talk about, we can talk about it later, but, you know, the concentric and eccentric load and how much more can do than the other, so to speak. And what is that muscle that can do that? But when you take these small muscles, they're the ones that are controlling that whole system in the back. And when we do so much of our weight work and fitness work, it's on, off with big muscles, right? 
So let's look at the back. If it's on off, what is that? That's a spasm. Or if it's on, locking in place, holding that spine in place it doesn't want to be, that's pain. And so when you activate these little muscles, boom, for some reason, it just lets go. We have a, an example, and we have, like I said, several examples where I like to talk in these little metaphors. A friend of mine, I went to a retreat with him. I brought a slack bow. This is for an organization I sat on the board of. And he was obsessed with it, and he played on it all Friday. And then I saw him Saturday morning, and he reached down and palmed the four. And I said, that's great. I can't do it. Good for you. He goes, no, you don't understand. He said, I've always been able to do that. You know, he had cancer. He had a blood clot in that leg. They had the rotor rooted out, all these things. And he said, I haven't been able to get past my ankles ever since they did this. And it's like six months before. And he said, every morning in the shower, I just, with the heat, I try to get over, try to get over, try to get over. And then boom, I work on the slack bone and it releases. And what happens is that the big muscles are also the, the casting system. So when something goes wrong, they're the ones that lock you up. And that's the compensatory muscle firing patterns that occur sometimes. His small muscles had lost their sense of what they were supposed to do. We reactivated the small muscles. He didn't do any bending over and touching his toe when he was on the slack bow. He just did balance. That's it. Straight up. Can, how many minutes can I stay on that plate? And, you know, it's the type of thing like we see over and over again. And I never, it's interesting we're in the backs, but I never sell backs um, when I talk to clients or I don't even think I mention it much in the book because Backs are so sensitive. I mean, the research on backs are sensitive. It gives you some idea. I think 85% of us, if you ran us under an MRI, have an operable back condition that any you know, neurosurgeon would look at and go, I can operate on that. But only like 8 to 10% have discomfort or pain. So there's a whole crew that have learned to deal with this. And I you know, had a client one day who was 82 years old. He was in a horrible motorcycle wreck when he was 18. And surgery in those days was a mess. He lived in a rural area. And when you saw him with shorts on, you were like, oh, my God, how does this man even move? He skis. He was part of the Burke Academy board. And he said, oh, yeah, he said, my legs are a mess. But, you know, whenever I get x-rayed, people say, wow, how do you survive with that back? And I think it's those micro muscles start to come in and go, okay, things are screwed up. So we're going to change the alignment of how things happen in the back and that muscle power, uh, firing pattern changes. It's a, we have, I mean, there's a, on Twitter, there's a guy, a physical therapist goes, Hey, I've had a tweaked knee ever since it was operated on 20 years ago. He said, I'm on that block for a month. It's gone. And I think those micro muscles, they get in and start to change. You know, this guy, um, I remember, I keep forgetting his name, Martin Goulding was interviewed about these motor neurons in the lower spine. And the most beautiful quote that he had in that article was, I guess we don't know everything we think we know about the body. He said, there's 40,000 neuroscience researchers in the world. And if we knew everything we thought we knew, there wouldn't be all these damn researchers. And so he's right. And it's a mysterious thing. And I know you work with the body and I know with all of your knowledge and you are so intelligent, and I'm so afraid of this podcast because you're going to start talking your stuff, and I'm going to go, oh, God, I don't, I have to look half those words up. <laughs> but I know if you work with the body enough times, there are times that you go, shit, how, how does it know that, or how did it do that, or how did it come up with that? So my small muscle thing is just maybe a metaphor. I may be totally wrong, but that's what I think is happening. So, Jim... Um, one of the things I love so much about the slack bow is that, you know, it literally just can be like peppered around our house and office <laughs> in ways that we can just play with it. Yeah. And I think 
people intuitively know how to use it and play with it. You know, if it's just sitting next to our kitchen counter, people will come in and just get on it. Sort of that's how we've been able to incorporate some like formal balance training into our lives. Kelly uses the word intervention. And I don't even really like that word because I think it's fun and and just should be sort of like one of the things right. we're doing is, you know, it, to me, intervention right. sort of suggests that like something's wrong with you that you're yeah. trying to fix yeah. or something. Yeah. And, but a couple of questions, a sort of two part question. You know, I think people feel overwhelmed right now when it comes to sort of health and fitness practices. Right. And so we struggle with this too. How do we make sure people have a complete practice and do all the things they need to do without continuing to add to people's like daily to-do list. Because I think the more to-do list items we add, people become overwhelmed. um, And they think, okay, well, I can't do the 20 things I'm supposed to do for my health and fitness every day. What do I do? So, I mean, first of all, I love that the slack bow can just sit in the kitchen and be peppered around. I think that's like an easy way to actually incorporate it without adding a to-do list item because, you know, you can stand on it while you're working at your standing desk or while you're cooking dinner or you can just play with it for five minutes. But what else besides that and using the slack bow do you recommend people do in sort of accessible ways to practice their balance? Because I'm sold. I'm, you know, we're again, like we said, we're including a chapter on balance in our next book. We think it's super important, but what do you recommend for people listening to this who, how should people sort of add in a little balance practice and how often what would actually make an impact? You know, when I first started doing this, I was probably more rigorous about you have to do the 12-minute routine. You should do it three times a week. But, you know, I've had clients come back and go, you know, I get on Slack block for two minutes, three minutes, four minutes a day, and I have great success with that. But it doesn't have to be a Slack block. I mean, you just take off your shoes and stand on one foot. We have probably 16 hours of protocols on all sorts of different things, but most people don't even realize that if you take off your shoes and you were to step and then hold that one leg for two seconds, it's really hard. <laughs> a lot of people have a hard time doing that. Take another step. Hold that step for two seconds. And so you're balancing the same, you know, at, at one you're only balancing for a fraction of a second, the other you're balancing for two seconds, but you're using the same set of muscles to do it. The other thing is that n- none of us, and we talk a lot about this in the book, uh, nobody ever said, I need to spend more time inside the house. Nobody ever said, I need to spend more time at the office. So one of the reasons for that is that we get used to these rectilinear surfaces. I've got them all over me now. I've got screens everywhere, walls, ceilings. But you go outside into nature, that doesn't exist. Everything's fractal. There are no perfectly rectilinear lines. Now, if you go back to old Renaissance buildings in Italy and so forth, you may find that they really do break up the horizon a lot inside these buildings and even outside. So to me, you know, and we have found every athlete that has the best balance. If you look at the best balance athlete in any sport, they also have the best floor presence. They have the best ability to see what's going on, to process information. You know, Tom Brady has phenomenal balance. He processes so quickly. Uh, Seth Curry has great balance, and he also has the ability to process. Wayne Gretzky, all these people have this ability to process and see. And I think that when you balance train, it's really important not to be looking at a screen. It's really important to be looking out down some horizon. And the reason the really high-priced executives in any company have the office on the top floor with a big window is because they can look out the dang window. When they look out the window, it really helps your balance system because you're now incorporating all this data, all these fractal surfaces, and you're out of this rectilinear world that you have inside. So Anything you can do to stop looking at the screen, look up, take in as much as you possibly can, 
And you don't have to use a slack block. Just balance on one foot for 10 seconds and balance on another foot for 10 seconds. And it clears your mind. You cannot, we don't allow music when we train people. It's an artificial way of shutting off the conscious mind. So I had an athlete one time who insisted on using music. He was a paddleboarder. He went to a paddleboard race. He fell like 16 times. I said, did you have your headphones? And he goes, no. I go, well, that's why, dude. You only know how to balance well with your earphones on. Next race, wear the earphones, waterproof earphones. He did it in fall once. I want you to face that inner feeling of what does it take to activate this whole system without artificially shutting off the conscious mind. And you have to do it. And we know when we train, if I go, hey, you're doing well, they'll fall off within five seconds afterwards because I've activated the conscious mind. By the same token, we'll purposely walk out of the room and you always hear from the next room, hey, I've just stood up longer than I ever have before because the judger has left the room. So the point is to open up the mind, do a little bit of balance, but you have to be able to see everything, feel everything, taste everything, smell everything, activate every sense you possibly can. I think they call it mindfulness and you'll balance better, and you'll also clear your mind and be able to go, just do it for three or four minutes, and you'll be better for the next couple of hours. Julian and I always jump into yoga class, and some of the yoga teachers once in a while just punish you. I'm like, okay, I've been standing on my left foot for 10 minutes now. Yeah, that's not what it's about. You know, <laughs> and uh, you can't, you, they just make it where yeah. you can't hide, Yeah, and then change your position. And I think one of the things that I really love about the simplicity of what you're saying is it ties together a couple of things for us. One is very rarely are you able to just stare at a perfect spot. You need to look up, you look down, you're judging if we're on a yeah, mountain right. bike or skis, right? You need to be looking around. Even if you stood on one leg and just turned your head, you'll fall over. Yeah. There are so many ways to continue to challenge a system. And my favorite way to upregulate is as soon as we put people into a balanced challenge environment, they stop breathing. Yeah, right. They just stiffen the whole trunk to try to right. simplify the, the inputs. Right. Right. And uh, you know, we ask them to just breathe and they fall over. So this balance play is so rich yeah. it's so easy to just turn up to 10 in so many different ways that it's amazing yeah. and and again I, I really do appreciate that you give homage to hey here's what i think may be happening but really the brain is the most sophisticated structure in the known universe right. trying to make sense of the environment and when it has more input it makes better decisions right part of that input thing is that we we've had great success with people have post-concussive syndrome, right? mm. people who have who've been given up on by allopathic medicine. And when you hear, your ears only collect data. They don't hear. Your brain processes the sound. So like my mom got her hearing aids much too late and she had lost that ability to, in the brain, to make decisions on what was good sound, what was bad sound. So if she was in a restaurant, she plugged in the hearing aid, she heard everything where normally you can call out the noise you don't want to hear and then hear the voice, and that's what you respond to. Well, the eyes are a certain same way in that you get a huge amount of data into your eyes, and they're just data collectors. They don't see. And only about 5% of the data that comes in your eyes is what you see, you know, hands and color, the cones of the eyes. The rest of the data goes into other parts of the brain. And what happens is that we kind of become focused on that 5%. And we lose the fact this other data is coming in. And that's part of that opening that vision. So when I go out into a fractal environment, I can't line up with anything. Nothing's going to line up. So I take in everything. And, you know, when you mountain bike, if you look at that rock, you're dead. You're going to drive. You're going to ride right into the rock, right? <laughs> See through the curve, right? 
seeing through the curve is the same thing you do in ski races. You're supposed to see two gates down. All of these are sort of ways of tricking the brain to not look at anything. You don't have to see through the curve. Just don't look at the damn curve, okay? You know what I'm saying? It's, so you have to, and you have to trust yourself. And when you get to be really good at mountain biking, you're suddenly popping through rocks and doing things, and you're like, well, how did I know that? I didn't even think about that. Or when I ski, I'll get to the bottom of the hill sometimes, and I'll go, I just did stuff I've never done before, ever. And my body put that whole thing together and made it work. And that's a system you're always trying to activate and get to. But that system does not come through what you see. It comes in a completely different pathway. And we got, we're developing patents now and equipment, and we're working on a book. It's basically, you know, one of the working titles is, what you see is not really what you see. <laughs> and it's true, and you're always processing all this data. So I agree with you. That's right. But you have to let it, you have to let it in and then let, and let the body make the decision. Now, we will pick up, and it'd be interesting to work with you someday. We will pick up, and clients hate me for this, but I'll see tensions immediately if something's not moving. There's a shoulder that's not moving. There's a hand that's not moving. It's locked up. Fingers are locked up. And these points of tension inhibit the ability to improve balance. And it's hard to point out those points of tension because as soon as you do, you've just added more tension to it, <laughs> right? So you've got to somehow give them other movements to do and other patterns that we take them through that release those tensions. But from your standpoint, because I don't know nearly as much as you do about how the body operates, it'd be fun to put a client up onto a slack bow or a slack block and I see tension and sort of whisper to you, what do you think's going on there? And then you can ask your questions and it might be, well, I had an injury there or I've done something in my shoulder or whatever the case may be. So these things show up when you take people and you put them into a balance challenge. A lot of things show up. And then for me, I always kind of can judge a person's personality within about three minutes. And I used to be kind of aggressive about it. I don't anymore because people don't like that. <laughs> they don't want to be told that they got this kind of personality, that kind of personality. I'll tell you, uh, there's an old Dune quote that <laughs> our test is crisis and observation. And what you're really seeing is that when you take someone out of their sort of program motor responses, learn movement patterning, you'll see how they're solving problems and what right. their default is. It's really right. amazing. Right. You know, I was just talking with one of the best coaches on the planet and sprinting around rhythmicity and elasticity and right. springiness. And when people become robot-like and stiff, you can't do all the things the body is supposed to be able to do. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Well, I just wanted to tell you one story just because you love skiing like we love skiing. One of our favorite things to watch when we were teaching our daughters to ski was skiing behind them. You know, we would go, we ski often at Squaw, this resort right. formerly known as Squaw Valley, Olympic Valley. And, you know, there'd be these packed runs and we watch our six-year-old daughter have to process it at fast speed, negotiating right. the mountain, the mountain run, which is like, you know, I'm not sure how else to describe it. It's a shit show and there's people everywhere and oh, yeah, there's yeah, good yeah, skiers right. mixed with bad skiers. And watching our six-year-old daughter have to forget about the skiing skill, just watching her brain actually having right. to process making these quick decisions and right. things that eventually would become instinctive to her as a skier, but watching her actually have to kind of think through those decisions was, it was cool to watch that actually when our kids were little. Anyway, I, I'd love to ask you just a little bit more because you mentioned at the beginning just about getting this business going. Uh, because it seems like you, like us, and like so many entrepreneurs, started this as a business because it was a problem you wanted to solve. Right. Um, and that is that the traditional slack line is not super accessible to like 99% of people. 
And so it's cool that you started your business that way. But, you know, tell us just a little bit about, I mean, it sounds like you had some struggles. You met some people, including Kelly, who were able to sort of blow this thing up. But just tell us a little bit about, you know, the business, starting this as a business and what that's been like. Yeah, I did not know. You know, I sat on the board for the Association for Comprehensive Energy Psychology for 10 years. And these are uh, mental health professionals who use some of the Chinese methods and tappings and things like that. And I was their internal consultant. So I was involved in, you know, selecting five of their presidents and selected their board of directors. And when they, and I'm kind of blowing smoke up my own butt here, but when they lay out their path of growth over the last, I guess, 20 some years, they have the founders and then these major events. And one of the major events is when I joined the board. And the thing about it was I'm around the best psychologists in the world. And I've had these kind of issues I've been dealing with for years and it just wasn't getting anywhere. And then I decided, well, there's got to be brain damage. <laughs> so I, I went, I was uh, 58. I was, had discovered I had ADD when I was 47. That was the first step in the process. And I went to this ADD specialist and he said I didn't have it. It would take five sessions to figure it out, blah, 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 blah. And at the end of the, halfway through the second session, honest to God, these were his words. He's expert in adult ADD. And he looked at me and goes, you poor bastard. You have the worst case of ADD I've ever seen. <laughs> and then 10 years after that, still not getting anywhere. I went and had my brain scan done, the spec scan done by Daniel Amen. And it came back, I had, you know, a brain of an NFL football player. So I had lots of pockets of non-working tissue. And um, one of the most interesting areas that had non-working tissue was my cerebellum. And if you looked at my cerebellum, it looks like it's a lot of it's been damaged. And the cerebellum is supposed to be your center of balance. And I contend that there's probably nobody within 15 years of my age that has balance as good as I do. So that was just curious. And that was one of the things they, they were telling me, look, your cerebellum's in bad shape. You have to do balance training. I go, no, I, that's what I do. We have to do more. I said, there's no way I can do more. This is what I do. <laughs> <laughs> like I wrote the book on this. I can't do more. Yeah, I didn't say that, but I should have said that. But but the, the the point is it was really solving something that I had to find an answer to. And then people just got better and came back with these great results. And then working with concussion clients. And then you have people sending you letters saying you saved their life because they were falling and they did this and they did that. Or, you know, people say they haven't slept in well in years or now sleeping well. I mean, all these things. So then you sort of get, I'm sure this happened to you too, is it to you guys, is that you sort of then get sucked into it even more because you feel like you're doing some good. But I was part of the whole uh, sort of Under Armour wicking thing at Russell Athletic probably four years before Under Armour was even formed as a company. And we had phenomenal success with those textiles and, and what we'd done with football players and baseball players and soccer players. And the team that came in behind me wasn't interested in it, but I didn't have control of that. And um, I just decided whatever was the next thing I was going to work on that I thought was a good idea, I wasn't going to give up on because developers give up. So there's a, you know, a joke about developers are generally lying face down on the ground with the footprints of the second and third wave that comes through and makes all the money on the product. And I just knew when I started this, I've studied the diffusion of technology and the advances of, you know, how something goes from uh, my grandfather invented part of the telephone with Alexander Graham Bell, how it went from there to being, you know, the company it is today. But you have to kind of suffer the slings and arrows and bullshit that you get um, when you start off. And it's uh, like that of, I guess, is it 
oh, I forget the name of the philosopher that says every good idea has three phases. First one is, you know, it's impossible, can't be done. The second one, it's not necessary, it's not worth it. And the third phase of the idea is everybody says, look at the great idea I've had. So it's emotionally hard to suffer through those first three phases. And I have. My life is better for it. Um, the business is taking off. And like I said, you know, Kelly showing up in my life was a, a godsend. Because, you know, I mean, I, I never told this to Kelly, but where he found it in that house, I'd been contacting that guy's secretary to get together to train with him for over six years. Six years. And I don't, I mean, I was always trying to make myself available. I, being who he is, I'd do anything to get in front of him. So it's just a funny set of circumstances that Kelly showed up at the right time. The place he found it makes it even weirder still. Um, <laughs> you know, some sort of Provence that's involved with this thing that I don't know about. So. Well, you know, uh, I see the truth of it. It's great. It's been part of my own experience with my, you know, rehabbing my knee after a total knee replacement. Yeah. You can't tell if I have a deficit in balance between my left leg and my wow. right leg. You just That's you, amazing. You, it, you can't see and it exposes positions in fascia and right. reactions and fatigue. One of my favorite uses of it is I love to see the cost of the session I just did for hard mountain biking or hard training. Hard, if I come in, I can use my balance and be like, whoa, I am shut down. My reaction time is off. Yeah. My balance yeah. is off. And yeah. I'm like, wow, that really was an expensive session. Yeah. So we continued again. It's just, I also want everyone to know that, uh, you know, we have a, we, our slack line is up permanently. Yeah. And my favorite workout in the world is to barbecue and slack line. Yeah. So it's <laughs> the great, greatest workout there is. It's a couplet. It's a couplet. Barbecue slackline. Jim, it sounds like you have a lot. Obviously, you're growing a business. It sounds like you have another book in the works. Tell us, you know, what are you excited about, thinking about, looking forward to? What's next? Well, we're trying to do a second edition of the first book. And then, you know, we've got a lot of demand for the slack bow. We're going to, you know, release that in sort of a little kickstart deal. And then, you know, working on the vision products, but I, I'd really like the Slack block to get out there in a bigger way. Um, we've been retarded a little bit by getting things across the ocean. We, I come from, like I said, the textile industry. We were total crafted and pride made in USA. And so I'm, I'm a big fan of making as much as I can uh, in the United States. There's some things because of our EPA laws that people don't like to really make foam here anymore. But we spent a lot of time and money perfecting that foam and we're always patenting our technology every time we can. So I feel like I'm just, you know, it's crazy to have started a business when I did. Most people should be shutting down. I'm just excited about what we got going forward. And I think, you know, Kelly hit it early on in this conversation is that everybody needs to be improving their balance. It's a real, it's a disease. I mean, it's a $30 billion a year problem in this country. I mean, it's, I mean, the number one cause of people, everybody knows this, I'm sure, but the number one cause of reasons to go to the emergency room for people over the age of 45 are falls. Over 50% of the people go to the emergency room over the age of 45 are for falls. And those are the ones that are just bad enough that, you know, need a visit to the emergency room. It's a big problem. It's a big problem. And we don't address it as much as we should. If only there was something we could do about it, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> I know this isn't a video thing, but I just flipped you the bird. <laughs> oh, we're getting this on video, Jim. We're, we got this. Jim, tell us where you can get in the weeds on this. Tell everyone who's listening the name of your book, obviously in the show notes, but also where people can find you, find your product, that sort of thing. Yeah, everything is slackbow.com. We're at Rogue, thanks to you. Appreciate they're doing well with the product. 
we don't have many online retailers other than ourselves. Um, we've stayed out of the Amazon milieu for the moment. I'm not saying we won't go there someday, but slackbow.com, S-L-A-C-K-B-O-W.com. And I'm Jim at Slackbow if anybody wants to write me. And then all social media is Slackbow. So. Fantastic. Well, I can't wait to have my uh, my balance challenge in person by the man. Yeah. And uh, again, I just I just want to personally say how much thank you for so much enriching our lives and, and giving us this easy solution and play. And if you follow the ready state, you know, you'll see that the slack block is part of our DNA yeah. now and it'll never get ripped out. It's always there. Yeah, I, I can't. Like I said, it's uh, you guys have been wonderful. You really have. So, um, Juliet, you married a good guy. So I hope. Yeah. I'll keep him. I'll keep him. <laughs> Jim, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. See you. Thank you for listening to the Ready State Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ready State. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You got it. You better stop.